Kia ora, I'm Chelsea Daniels. It's August 8th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Over the last two years, we've seen an endless stream of stories about youth misbehaving. But this is a surprising spike after nearly 15 years of dropping rates of recorded youth crime and young people coming into contact with the justice system. What's behind this steady decline? Why has it spiked recently? And what's the right way to tackle it? Today on the front page, NZ Herald senior writer Derek Chang is here to share what he's learned about what's happening with youth crime in Aotearoa. Now, Derek, what do the statistics tell us about youth offending over the last two decades? I mean, has it been increasing or decreasing? Well, I think it's probably fair to say that statistics, first of all, are so kind of indicative of crime. There's no really clear, definitive statement you can make. But there's been a massive drop in what we usually regard to be the crime stats for youth people, and that's in terms of the number of youths who are charged and the number of charges. And since... 2007 or so, there's been a huge drop in both of those, just to give you an indication there. About 5,000 youths were charged in court in 2007, and that dropped to, well, just below 1,500 in 2022. But that also included almost 517-year-olds who were only brought into the youth court jurisdiction in July 2019. So if we take those out and we're just looking at 10 to 16-year-olds, it's gone from 5,000 to less than 1,000. So that's been a huge drop-off. And if we look at the number of charges, that has also dropped massively as well from almost 11,000 charges in 2013 to just over 6,000 in 2022. In our latest News Hub Read research poll, we asked, is the government doing enough to address the ram raid problem? Only 27.6% said yes, while a clear majority, 62.2%, said no. The rest didn't know. You think this is indicative of, say, a kind of soft-on-crime approach by the government? hate to use those words. There's certain patterns that you can observe, and whether you think they're soft or tough or whatever, that's not really for me to say. Looking at the um, statistics, first of all, at the start of that crime pipeline, you've got police and the number of police proceedings against young people has fallen hugely. That's across the board. And there's much more use of warnings, referrals to police youth aid. Just to give you an indication, the number of proceedings per 10,000 people aged 14 to 16 fell from almost 1,100 to 400. So that's like more than halved in the decade to 2021-22. And then if you look at the youth court, there's this really specialist court which uses a number of different alternative sentences or different orders that are less punitive. And the, the use of less punitive sentences and orders has gone up dramatically as well. It used to be about 20% three decades ago, and now it's 50%. So even if a youth comes before the youth court and the charge is proved, the most likely outcome is still going to be a discharge. And that is because one of the things that the youth court can order is a family group conference. And then the young person can go through a series of interventions. And if they complete those interventions, then the charge, which they've basically admitted, it gets thrown out as if it was never brought. And that's just with a particular family group conference. That doesn't include the quarter of charges that are brought, which are dismissed anyway. So even if we look at charges that are proved, the most common outcome is a discharge. 
following a series of completed interventions and a, and a plan that's put together by the youth court. So the non-punitive aspect of it and the alternative actions and, and warnings from police is definitely a, a large picture of the, the sharp decline in youth crime in the last 15 years. What about the last two years? Has there been a spike in youth crime, though? There has been a, a spike in 2022. There was a small increase in the number of young people that were charged and a larger increase in the number of charges. And that was mainly in thefts. There were 500 more thefts in 2022 than in 2021. And there's been a few reasons that are thought to be behind that. And one is the clearing of the backlog in the courts from the COVID pandemic times, where basically the court system was held up for a long time. And now there's a lot more through traffic. You can't really definitively say whether youth crime has gone up because those statistics have gone up. And what about the age of these alleged offenders? I mean, we've seen younger children involved in something like, say, aggravated robberies. Is that articulated in the statistics that you saw? Well, the statistics kind of group offenders in the 10 to 13 and then the 14 to 16 age range. And then since July 2019, most 17-year-olds have been brought into the youth court jurisdiction as well. So the, the number of teenagers who are in the youth court system is far higher than the number of children. And they're dealt in different systems as well. You know, the, the 10 to 13-year-olds are generally dealt with in the family court and the 14 to 17-year-olds in the youth court. So an academic report has come out called A Sharp Decline in Youth Crime. Clinical psychologist Professor Ian Lambie helped to prepare the report. I think we have a very good youth justice system for 14 to 18 year olds. I think it's world leading. The gap is under 14 year olds and really we have to look at focusing on early intervention and how do we keep these young people at school and actually out of the youth justice system and we haven't done that. What did this report show about young people coming into contact, say, with the justice system? Yeah, this was a really fascinating report because you think if, if youth crime falls, there'd be quite a strong downstream effect, particularly with that prison pipeline. You know, if they keep reoffending, then crime, you would think, would go up. So these academics, one of which is Dr Ian Lambie, who's the Chief Science Advisor to the Prime Minister's Office on, on Justice Issues. They looked at the emerging adult cohort, 17 to 24, I think, and how often they came into contact with the justice system across the same years that youth crime had fallen so much. And it was kind of fascinating because they found that the emerging adults' contact with the criminal justice system dropped off quite significantly. And they looked at imprisonment, community sentences, and custodial remand. And the same pattern was not observed for the 30 to 39 age cohort. It's difficult to draw definitive conclusions from this. This is more of an observational thing. But it was really fascinating to see the significant drop in the emerging adults' contact with the criminal justice system. If you look at it across to 2022, which we have the data for now, the reoffending rate for the 14 to 16s has actually dropped from roughly 49% reoffending within 12 months to 33, 34% in 2022. Does the report show or offer any reasons why that youth offending may have dropped? There are a number of contributing factors into youth crime, and it talks about the greater use of police warning and alternative action that I talked about before, fewer first-time offenders coming into contact with the justice system in the first place, a sharper focus on things like the drivers of crime, and just the less punitive response in the justice system in general. And that is generally thought to improve 
the chances of someone breaking out of a cycle of offending, but it doesn't always go according to that plan, as you've seen the very recent shootings in downtown Auckland with Matu Reed, where he was out on a home detention sentence, which is a non-custodial sentence, and then he went into downtown Auckland with a shotgun and with tragic consequences. What do people that you've spoken to make of the correlation of, say, police using these warnings, etc., and, and kind of it not making it to the justice system? I mean, of course, if we're, again, soft on crime from the outset, it's not making it to the justice system, therefore not making it into the statistics. Do we know that it works? Are these young people now getting, you know, 10 warnings rather than maybe going into the justice system? Well, you can see the drop in the number of charges. So, I mean, it clearly has an effect to have a less punitive response. Whether that actually, like I said before, it's really hard to say definitively what the impact on crime levels is because we're talking about reported crime here. Charges, convictions, police warnings, police proceedings, that's all reported and recorded crime. The only survey that we have that includes unreported crime is the Crime and Victims Survey, which the Justice Ministry does every year after interviewing thousands and thousands of adult Kiwis. And that has only been happening since 2018. So it's difficult because the biggest drop in youth crime happened between 2007 and 2015. It's been declining since then still, but that was the biggest drop. So we don't really have a survey that includes unreported crime for those years. And in the survey since 2018, the number of Kiwis, the sort of per capita number of Kiwis who live crime-free lives has remained mostly static at about 70%. We hope you're finding this episode of The Front Page insightful. Follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more premium coverage from our top writers, head to nzherald.co.nz slash premium to subscribe. Have you spoken to any academics on, say, how to reduce youth crime even more or what kind of measures should we be taking from here on out? Well, there's been a lot of expert reports about that very thing. I've spoken with Ian Lambie very recently about that. He's authored or co-authored a number of reports into crime and youth crime. He was also co-author of a report into gangs and gang culture that was headed by Dame Julia Gerard and the chief science advisor to the prime minister's office. Dr. Lambie is very clear that a lot of the young people who are going to find it really difficult to get out of a life of crime, the sort of life-persistent, chronic offending, volatile temperaments, these people are generally known to the state. They're reported to Oranga Tamariki. Schools know when kids aren't in school. Parents will often be on a benefit or they'll be known to police because they have violent intergenerational trauma. And... The best way to try and get in front of that is to wrap these families in multi-agency support. You know, whether they happen is completely up to the political party of the day who's in government. And there's another really stark reality here is that these people don't really vote very much. So they're not really on the radar of most parties come election time. Well, that leads you uh, you into my next question. I mean, whether youth crime is going up, down or sideways, say, it is no doubt a major election topic. It's on the top of all parties' agendas. They're seeking re-election planning to deal with youth crime, right? What are they looking at? 
Well, National has been on about this for quite some time. And it's interesting, though, looking at their policy document on youth crime, that it does, National Party does say that the youth justice system works well for most people. And that was part of the reason to bring most 17-year-olds into the youth court jurisdiction in the first place, because there are so many more interventions and sort of mandatory interventions. There's a lot more support in the youth court jurisdiction in the district court. But the National Party wants to have boot camps for serious young recidivist offenders. That's the main policy plank that they've been on. ACT has recently come out and said that moving the 17-year-olds into the youth court jurisdiction was a mistake. They are old enough to know what's right or wrong, and they should be moved back into the adult jurisdiction. Ex-Deputy Leader Brooke Van Velden, why on earth would you go back to the days of treating 17-year-olds as adults? Well, look, I think it's pretty clear that we need to send a signal that crime is not okay and there will be proper consequences for crime. And we've heard from police that people are offending up until the age of 18, thinking that they can get away with lower sentences. I don't think that sends a good message. One of the rationales for moving them into the youth court jurisdiction in the first place was that the brain doesn't really fully develop until the mid-twenties. A few weeks ago, we saw Chris Hipkins come out and talk very tough on youth crime with a whole bunch of a trio of policies. You know, not all of them were particularly well costed or they didn't really know much about a lot of them, but he was trying to front foot the issue, which obviously prompted his opponents to say, well, it's about time. You seem to be saying a lot now that it's closer to the election. Funny that. Kiwis have had a gutsful of people acting as if the rules don't apply to them, and I have had a gutsful of that as well. The system needs a shake-up. It's becoming increasingly common for offenders to post the videos of their criminal behaviour online. This social media amendment that we're introducing will apply to adults and young people and provide the courts with an additional consideration when sentencing. And the Greens... The Greens generally support a whole lot of much more use of specialist court processes. You've got the iwi panels, justice panels, and the specific rangatahi and Pacifica youth courts as well, all of which seem to have a greater effect on reducing reoffending. The catch here, though, and you noted this in your article, is that people are basically afraid. People generally think crime is on the rise in this country. We're recording this episode while there are multiple alleged shooters on the run around the country. People want to see action taken. So as a former press gallery reporter, do you think any party can actually go into October's election selling intervention services over those punitive measures? Well, it's clear that punitive measures strike a chord with your general voter, absolutely. And this was one of the survey results in the justice sector's long-term insights briefing, where three times as many Kiwis supported greater use of imprisonment than the status quo. It's also a product of, like, people think youth crime is going up because it's much more visible in the media. Ram rates have definitely gone up a lot. Business owners are concerned about that. And that filters down to your average Joe public's perception of whether crime is on the rise. So it's very easy to sell more punitive measures. And more punitive measures are the right call for the right people. The political divide anyway is what you do with people who you think can be rehabilitated. Because the long-term benefit of that, if you get someone off that reoffending cycle, is much better than throwing someone behind bars for them to just come out and then offend and go back 
behind bars again and that's more costly to the states. It's going to create more crime over the longer term and more victims and everybody loses. But where you draw that line is the grand question there. Thanks for joining us, Derek. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Front Page with me, Chelsea Daniels. You can read more about this and other stories in the New Zealand Herald online at nzherald.co.nz or news bulletins across the NZME network. With thanks to our producer and editor Sean D. Wilson and executive producer Ethan Sills, you can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.